Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and it is now the 11th day of June, 2016, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from the Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California. Where is it? Palo Alto, California. I almost said overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. Uh, Dan Petrie was born here. You know where Palo Alto is. Where Stanford is. There's a lot of technology is here. It's a Silicon Valley. You realize how expensive houses are in the Silicon Valley? I mean, like you can't, you can't buy a shed here. You can't buy a goddamn shed here. We're in a drought, and we live on a fault line. There's no water, and we can go crashing into the Pacific at any moment if the plates shifted the wrong way. And yet, property values are through the roof. Makes no damn sense. Hey, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Yankees today. Now, for those of you who know me, and I know I do, you know I'm a Boston Red Sox fan, and you know I'm not a Yankee fan. So whenever I talk about the Yankees, there's always a slight chance that people may look it up. He's a Yankee hater. He's a Yankee hater. Well, I am. I make no bones about that. I don't pretend that I'm not. Oh, he's going to be biased. He's going to be biased. I make no bones about it. I'm going to be biased. I root against the Yankees. I like to see the Yankees lose. Every time... The Yankees lose a game. I believe a little baby duckling is hatched into the world. Every time the Yankees lose a game, a bright-eyed child looks up to the sky and realizes there could be good in this life. There could be justice. There could be empathy. There can be love. And every time the Yankees win a game, it's a cruel reminder that at one point the specter of death will reach across our necks, and there is the possibility that we could die alone and afraid. But don't think that just because I think those things that I'm necessarily going to do a podcast that's anti-Yankees. I am not impartial. I have biases. But I am also objective, and I also can identify certain facts. And today I'm going to talk about some positive things about the Yankees. And, of course, that means talking about their history, but um, their their success against the Angels recently notwithstanding. And I want to talk about something that the Yankees do extraordinarily well. And it's going to happen here this weekend as well. That's one reason I'm bringing it up. It's old-timers' day. And there's an interesting thing. There's a very interesting dynamic about Old Timers Day that I want us all to appreciate this year, because I know it can happen this year, and hopefully it can happen again next year. Because the chances to appreciate this are getting, well, they're, they're fading. It's getting further and further away. Old Timers Day. Old Timers Day is something that the Yankees have always done, and it's always been great. 
I have criticized the Red Sox many times, even though I'm a diehard Boston Red Sox fan. I have criticized the Red Sox many, many times of how they treat their former players, how they treat their former stars. I think a lot of times they treat them disrespectfully. I think a lot of times I don't like how they handle I don't like how they how they've treated players like Fisk, like they've treated like Wade Boggs. There's so that the the number of Red Sox players who leave the team in a huff, Clemens, Boggs, as I mentioned, Evans, Fisk, Mo Vaughn. You know, I don't know if Pedro left in a huff, but it's certainly because you know, they've obviously welcomed Pedro back with open arms. Johnny Damon left in a huff. Jacoby Ellsbury leaves in a huff. Kevin Euclid leaves in a huff. Papelbon leaves in a huff. Keith Folk out the door. You know, I mean, how many times do you see players, you know, Nomar, get out of here. And I'm saying that they should have kept these players for big long-term deals, but more often than not, you see Red Sox players don't end their term with the Red Sox in a positive way. Terry Francona, get out of here. We don't need your butt here. Bruce Hurst, bye-bye. You know, sometimes it made sense that they didn't sign him long-term, but it, it's, there's always been situations with the Red Sox where like, well, finally they're patching things up. Well, finally they're patching things up. Well, the Yankees can't say goodbye to their stars. They keep dragging their stars back, even if they leave. They bring their butts back into Yankee Stadium. The Yankees do a spectacular job of honoring their past. It's something they've always done very well. And it's one of the great strengths of being a Yankee fan is that connection to the past. I mean, you can't talk to a Yankee fan for more than two minutes without them bringing up 27 rings. You can say, oh, man, the weather is pretty bad here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been raining a lot. Yeah, how's it been affecting uh, your, the, the drainage system in your apartment? Well, it's been fine, but we got 27 rings. What do you want for lunch? 27 rings. I mean, like, constantly, 27 rings, 27 rings, 27 rings. But what does that mean, 27 rings? That means that as a Yankee fan, you feel connected to their entire history. Most of those rings were won before division play. And division play began in 1969. I was not born in 1969. I am now in my mid-40s. I have a beard. There's gray in my beard. I'm not young. So the majority of those rings were won before I was a zygote. And yet, when you're a Yankee fan, you feel that connection. You're feeling a connection to the present, but also to the past. That if you're a champion wearing a Yankee uniform, you know, no matter what team wins the World Series, there's going to be a great sense of accomplishment. Hell, the 1997 Marlins were dismantled during the World Series parade. And yet, when you look at all the players on that team, whether it's Kevin Brown, Devon White, Bobby Bonilla, Levon Hernandez, Charles Johnson, whomever it was, you could look at them and they could look at each other and say, we won the damn World Series. We're champions. Even if that connection didn't elevate the, uh, the, the prestige of the franchise, which it did not, they're champions. You know, the Angels won in 2002. The Diamondbacks won in 2001. These are not, you know, tradition-dripped franchises. And yet, they're champions. And if you win a title, no matter what team you are, you salute you. You've won a title. 
When you win a title with a team like, say, the Tigers or the Cardinals or the Red Sox or the Giants, you have a connection to the past. But with the Yankees, it's this sense of being part of this historical monolith. It's more of being invited to this unique fraternity of champions that stretches back to the 1920s. There is a connection from Ruth to Jeter and Mariano Rivera. There is a connection to A-Rod, as much as it may disgust you to hear that. There is a connection from A-Rod to Joe DiMaggio because they're part of that fraternity. Man, it makes me vomit in my mouth to say some of this out loud. But Old Timers Day was the physical embodiment of that connection to history. That you would have the Yankees of the present wearing the uniforms and out would come the Yankees of the past wearing the same goddamn uniform. That's the beauty of the Yankees never changing their look over the years. So when Hank Bauer, when Moose Scourin, when, you know, whomever it was, Ralph Terry comes out wearing their uniforms and then along the line there were the present-day Yankees wearing the same uniforms, there was a connection that was made. The Yankees of the present, Yankees of the past, and when the Yankees were the defending world champions, there was that sense of, okay, we're now part of you, we're, we're similar, and when they're not winning a championship, it gives you something to look up to. But the way that Old Timers Day was always unfolded, at least the way that I was growing up, that you saw some of the Yankees from the 40s were still there. You saw a lot of the Yankees from the 50s and some of the Yankees of the 70s, and then uh, you know a, a scattering of players from more recent years. But you also had the finale, kind of the, the, the equivalent of the fireworks at the end of 4th of July. You had Yogi Berra come out. You had Whitey Ford come out. You had Mickey Mantle come out. And you had Joe DiMaggio come out. Now, DiMaggio would not be in uniform because he was a bit of a stick in the mud. But when DiMaggio came out at the end, he was the greatest living ball player, and he would wave to the crowd, there's Mr. Coffee. There's, you look at a guy and said, that guy played with Gehrig. That guy goes back to the 30s. That guy, you know, you know you're not going to have Ruth there. You know you're not going to have Gehrig there. But you have DiMaggio right up until 1998 coming out there. And the Mick would come out and everyone, that there was that connection to this unbelievable era. And it made Old Timers Day an event that stood still in time when you had those four. DiMaggio, Mantle, Barra, Ford. Well, guess what? We have Ford. Ford's the only one left of that proverbial Mount Rushmore. Ford is the last great superstar from the era of the Yankee dynasty that was before divisional play. You will find there, was, there will be a smattering of players who were alive then, who will still be there, and will be an old man or will be, come out. But Ford is undeniably 
the the patriarch, if the lack of a better word, of the former Yankees. And when we lose Whitey, not that I, I may Whitey live many, many more years, but when we lose Whitey, we are going to lose that element of what Old Timer's Day was. That is going to, you're going to, you know, there will still be elements of Old Timer's Day that will be obviously wonderful, obviously, you know, a, a, emotional and everything like that. But Whitey's nearly 90 years old. And if we lose him at any point in the next few years, you'll look at the roster of people who are on there. And you're going to have really special people on there. I'm not denigrating who's going to be on here, okay? I just want to make sure that's clear. You're going to see players who are part, you know, a smattering of players who are still around in the 60s, and you're going to see certainly a lot of players from the Bronx Zoo years. Reggie will be there. Lou Pinella will be there. Nettles will be there. Chambliss will be there. Ron Guidry will be there. Absolutely. And then you're going to see what will truly be special for the fans are the players from the greatest Yankee team of recent years. And so Jeter was, when Jeter shows up, oh, that'll be amazing. Bernie Williams will come out and play guitar and be lousy on the guitar. And then we'll see O'Neill, and then we'll see Tino Martinez, and then we'll see Jorge Posada, and then we're going to see Andy Pettit. And then David Wells will come out, and people are like, ah, there's David Wells. And then there's going to be, you know, there'll be the Ramiro Mendozas and the El Duque Hernandezes and the, you know, that's POS. Chuck Knobloch will show up or whatever. He'll be there for a second. And the people who had the individual great moments, you know, Bucky Dent will be there. Ah, there's Bucky Dent. And Jim Bouton will show up. Oh, Jim Bouton wrote that big book. And it will be undeniably still remain a great moment. It will. Reggie Jackson will show up. But, you know, then there'll be the, the, the people who are like the, you'll see the widows of like Elston Howard's widow will be there. Catfish Hunter's widow will be there. Thurman Munson's widow always gets a huge hand. You know, the survivors of Billy Martin and the descendants of Babe Ruth will be there. And that would be a nice, nice feeling. And Oscar Gamble will show up and they'll show the pictures of his afro. And and Don Larson will still be alive. And that will get people laughing and um, waving their hands. And Willie Randolph and Mickey Rivers and Roy White, all these players. And Roy White was a great Yankee. Willie Randolph was a great Yankee, and they had tremendous connection to the greatness of the Yankee days. But you're going to see when, if we don't have that connection to the deep past, the deep past, there is going to be something lost with the frozen in time elements that is Yankee Old Timer Day. Now, this could be a bit of me being an old stick in the mud and an old fart. Because in my day, this is the way it was. But I don't think I'm out of line by saying this. I don't think I'm out of line that if it comes to the point that Hector Lopez 
and Joe Pepitone being the final reminders of the great Yankees of the 1960s, that you will lose a little bit, no offense to them, but you lose a little bit of the majesty that is Yankee Old Timers Day. Now, keeping in mind my rule of seven, that if you were, you know, the, for those of you who don't understand what the rule of seven is, is, I believe that you don't really start following a team until you're around seven years old. That's when you f- first start to develop your first real memories of a team. So if you were seven years old, you know, anyone under the age of 27 has no memory of the Yankees winning the 1996 World Series. So I remember watching my first Old Timers Day when I was about seven years old. That was in 1977. No, it was, uh, no, it was 1979, sorry. And so you go back 20 years before that, that was the 50s, and I'm sure, you know, and they would bring out players like, you know, from like Cleet Boyer and everyone, that seemed like it was an eternity ago, and it's the same amount of time as 1996 was to now. I understand that, and I understand that players like Reggie Jackson and Chris Chambliss must seem like Lou Gehrig and Joe DiMaggio in terms of time and space, to a young fan now. I get that. I understand how time works. I understand. I also know that it marches forward and people die and they eventually decompose and new people come up and eventually I'll be dead and the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast will finally be over. Maybe. But there was always the connection to the deepest part of the dynasty. I guess in a way, a lot of it ended with DiMaggio, but in, when DiMaggio and died, Mantle was already gone. But he still had Barra. And when Barra finally came back, because remember, he boycotted the Yankees for a long time, and he came back after Joe DiMaggio died. Um, and I think that his being there brought us back to, okay, we're, going, we're at least we're stretching back to the 40s. We're stretching back to the 40s, and Barra played with um, DiMaggio. Then we lost Scooter, we lost Phil Rizzuto, and then we lost Yogi Berra this last fall. And we have Whitey. Whitey remains the link to that deep, deep dive of Yankee greatness. And I ask you the question, when, you know, when Mantle died, you know, that was the devastating for so many people who were big Mantle fans. When DiMaggio died, there went the line of the, the greatest living ball player and everything, even though he was the greatest living ball player because Willie Mays was breathing in oxygen, breathing out carbon dioxide, as he still is as I record this podcast. Yogi Berra was the greatest living Yankee, and he passed away last September. Was it, whatever it was, September, October, whenever it happened. So... We're now the greatest living Yankee or the greatest Yankee hero still alive is Whitey Ford. If he's gone, when we lose him, who takes that title? Who's the player who comes out at the very end? Who's the grand finale? I mean, is it, I mean it's not going to be Dan Pasqua. It's not going to be Jeff Nelson. It's not going to be Mike Pagliarulo. It's not going to be Don Manningly. It's going to be, and I don't think it's going to be Reggie Jackson. No offense to Reggie Jackson. He's a Hall of Famer, 
belongs in the Hall of Fame, had those five amazing years in Yankee pinstripes, had one of the greatest mo- one of the greatest moments in the history of the Yankee franchise was game six of the 1977 World Series. You put it up there with any game by Ruth, you put it up there with the luckiest man in, on the face of the earth, you put it up there with the Jeter flip, you put it up there with the Don Larson perfect game. Is If you're going to do a top five Yankee moments, or essentially top five Yankee moments in the Bronx at home, uh, if you don't have Reggie's game in there, guess what? Uh, pack up your bags, I don't want to talk to you. It'll probably be Jeter. It'll probably be Jeter and Rivera will be the last two. And they are both young people, relatively. I mean, they're, they're you know, too old to be playing. But, you know, if he was, if, how old is Mariano Rivera? I'm actually going to try to figure this out. Mariano Rivera, who retired, I don't know if you'd realize this, but Mariano Rivera retired from baseball a few years ago. I don't think they gave it any coverage. And Jeter retired, too. Really snuck past everyone. Jeter's 42 and Rivera's 46. Jeter's younger than me? Jesus, I'm old. So, hopefully, seeing that Jeter's younger than me, I hope he's not near death, you'll have those two finish off the Old Timers Day ceremony for the next 40 years. They'll be the connection. They'll be the emotional connection for the players as the people who brought back the greatness of the dynasty and of Yankee dignity. But it'll be strange for me, and it's my podcast so I can say stuff like that. It'll be strange for me to see the grand emotional finale be someone whose rookie year I remember, whose entire career I watched, and not as someone who brings back our memories to decades, decades past. Who who else would you put ahead of them? Not Chambliss, not Bucky Dent. So I guess the main thing I'm going to say is, as it's Old Timers Day this weekend in the Bronx, watch it. Even if you're a Red Sox fan, watch it. Appreciate it. And Whitey Ford comes out, just soak it in. Don't say anything. Don't be snarky. Don't be overly emotional either. Appreciate it. Appreciate it because it's a day where the, what I said, the best parts of baseball are when the past, present, and future all take place simultaneously. And that's what's going to happen when Whitey Ford comes out. I hope we have many, many more years of Whitey Ford. I truly do. But in case we don't, And this has been a year where some people in my life, in my family, and we see in other people who are incredibly popular celebrities and and big figures in the world have left us in sometimes shocking ways. And some people in my family, as I said, have gone in shocking ways as well. Savor it. Because it might be gone. And when it's gone, this enormously unique ritual will go with it. It'll still happen. It'll still be good. But do you know what? There'll be something about it that won't be the same. And because of that, 
I want us all to savor it. Check out the up-to-date listings of who owns baseball on MLBReports.com. Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. Go just type in SullyBaseball.com, it'll take you to where you want to go. Uh, what else? Well, let me, I'm, I forgot what I was going to say on that. You can be old school, send me an email at info at SullyBaseball.com. The music is by Ted Thacker, Patrick Kaliski. Praising the Yankees. Make note of that. Make note of that. I didn't talk about the Red Sox and Giants, and I praised the Yankees. I don't know what I'm going to do. I need to take a shower. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sullivan.